This audio program may contain descriptions of violence and topics that may not be suitable for everyone. Please listen with caution. Do you know what the most frightening thing in the world is? It's fear. I'm not gonna hurt you. I'm just gonna bash your brains. Why, she wouldn't even harm a fly. Did he accept you? Of course he did. Good. We're best friends. Did you see the um, article he posted last night? Because it made the me one, laugh out loud. Um, I did, but I forget what the it was. The bird? Yeah, 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 it yeah, was, yeah. <laughs> They were they treating were... <laughs> an exotic bird. It was like a yellow bird. A yellow bird. And, and then... then they found out it is a seagull covered, covered in, in curry. curry. <laughs> <laughs> that... So funny. <laughs> It is so funny. You almost can't believe it. And the picture, too. Yeah. The picture's my it's like, favorite. Yeah, because it looks like golden. He's Yeah, well, he's a curry bird, yeah. you know? So <laughs> it's just so funny that even they were like, what is this unusual, majestic yeah. bird? And then, like, like a dirty curry. seagull. They're like, hmm, this smells weird. Maybe you should wash it. <laughs> yeah. It somehow got doused in turmeric and was <laughs> unable to fly as a result. Oh. I would be unable to yeah. fly as well. They described him as pungent. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Uh, so enough chit-chat, I guess. Our topic for today is recently solved well, murders. Well, but I have an issue with the title. Because okay. mine isn't that recent, but it was solved after a long period okay. of time. So we're calling it recently solved, but what we really mean generally, it's a loose title, is murders that went cold and then got solved. Yes. So, Better? solved cold cases. Yeah. Even though we just did cold cases. Yeah, but it's these kind are of solved, solved cold, cold cases. cases. So, okay. they were cold. Now they're solved. Yes. Now they're hot. Cold dish. Hot, Mine hot, was hot. lukewarm. <laughs> Yours was lukewarm? Yeah. It was cold and then it was lukewarm. And Mine was, cold again, but... was chilly. Chilly mm-hmm. as that ice cream that girl licked. Did you see that story? No. <laughs> this, like, teenager, she went was in a grocery store and her friend videotaped her she opened a, a like a gallon of bluebell ice cream and licked it and put the thing back Why? on and put it back who the fuck knows but now she's being charged with product tampering yeah yeah because it's disgusting. fucking gross yeah. yeah and that's illegal it is because but she the, had some sort of disease yeah she she could we don't know yeah but um yeah it's illegal because of the tylenol murders yeah yeah and also that's fucking disgusting yeah. why would you do that Ugh. so Yes, I don't know how we got here. I don't but know. That, oh, that's how cold my case was. Yes. Okay. And it's as cold as her goddamn heart. Yes. Do you first? I do. Oh, what we, was last week? We recorded the other one two days ago. I don't remember anything. <laughs> Sometimes Jake will be like, it was so funny when you said that thing. And, and you're like, like what why did do I you say? even bring it up as if I know? Talk yeah. to me as if it's a podcast I've never listened to. Yes. Because I don't know. We did um, cold cases. Right. And I did someone. Yes. You did someone. Oh, I did Room 1046. <laughs> yes. Uh-huh. And, and I, I did remember. Bob Crane. Okay. I'm going to tell <sighs> you about... I've got a good memory. <laughs> There's a lot going on up here, there okay? There really is a lot going on. Um, today, I found myself just deep dive researching into syphilis. Like, a lot oh, happens. What? Do you oh. have it? No, oh. hopefully not. Um, but you know, <laughs> Mike, <laughs> listen, my Gardasil did not work, so we'll see. Yeah, but um, no, I was for uh one of our wild cards. No, oh, just research. syphilis. I don't, I'm not you gonna know, give you away look, the topic. Okay, but you better just not come at me with the history of syphilis because no, I will I, leave. I think so. <laughs> one is a specific event in syphilis history. Oh, okay, and then the other one is. A syphilis related experiment okay. but i don't know if like if the event is long enough i'll just leave it as the event but if not i'll cover okay. both of them okay. so it's just like terror's nose falls off oh always that was like the main thing yeah only because it's untreated yeah but well that's the thing i also that's what i was right in the middle of doing um the treatments of syphilis when uh, you came home mm, and all that prayer. so yes it's, it's a lot prayer. of prayer <laughs> it is it's mostly um Actually, surprisingly, mercury poisoning <laughs> because everything was terrible. Yep. So today, that's for another day. Yes. Today, I'm going to tell you about the murder of Arliss Perry. Mm-hmm. Have you heard of her? 
I don't think so. Okay. But like we've established, I don't know. I can't remember <laughs> You could have covered it. No, you haven't. I know. <laughs> so Arliss Perry was born on February 22nd, 1955 in Linton, North Dakota. Okay. She grew up. Have you ever been to the Dakotas? I've been to neither Dakota. I've been to South Dakota. And how was it? It was fine, I think. Yeah. I was there for a brief minute. I don't know why. Yeah, why? We were it was just a stopping point, but I don't oh, know where we were going. Were Michigan somewhere? maybe? I thought Dakota was where are farther they? west than Michigan. Maybe we were going somewhere specifically in the Dakotas oh, yeah. from Michigan. Were you little? Yes. I okay. was like eight. Or yeah, six. you have relatives somewhere out Well, there? we have relatives in Michigan, but on that trip, we went to like seven different spots. We like oh, went to Michigan for like a few a days, and then we all, okay. like us and the relatives that lived there, mm-hmm. we went to Ohio to that weird theme park there, and then, yeah. You know, oh, that's cool. Yeah, I've been to neither Dakota. I. Mm. So um, she grew up in Bismarck, which is arguably okay. the most famous yeah, city the in only, North Dakota. What other city? Name any other I one. I can't. So, I got nothing. <laughs> While in high school, Arliss met Bruce Perry, and the two began dating. Yes. (laughs) Well, at this point, would be father. Father. No, same age, maybe. Yeah. Um, Well. Well, so the two began dating, and Bruce was one year older than Arliss, and he went off to college, but they continued their relationship long distance. Arliss was a very religious girl and often spent time proselytizing to non-Christians, which, like... I'm not going to make fun of Arliss Perry because what happens to her is awful. But that sounds annoying. <laughs> like That is annoying. Yeah, it's it's annoying. Well, yeah, you could be a murder victim and also be annoying. <laughs> yeah, well, like, this one action she did was annoying. She's so, probably a little annoying. Yeah. I feel like everyone in the 50s was probably a little annoying compared to <laughs> she today's She was born standard. in the 50s. This is the early 70s. She was admittedly a sheltered and overly trusting girl, according to her father. And she'd never traveled very far from home. I don't think she'd ever been out of the state. So she was very, like, local. According to some, Arliss had attempted to convert members of a local religious group called Process Church of the Final Judgment. Have you ever heard of them? No. We'll talk about them later. The Process Church, as they're referred to, was formed by excommunicated Scientologists and supposedly had ties to both the Zodiac Killer and David Berkowitz. Yeah, if... Scientology doesn't want you. I guess make your own church because those are the only people who do want you. I mean, <laughs> yeah, but Scientology probably wouldn't want us either because we're poor. <laughs> no, they also wouldn't want us because we question things. Mm. I'm sure our thetans are trash. We have oh, trash yeah, thetans. We have trash thetans. Um, They're all over us. <laughs> yeah. My eyes. Um. So Bruce and Arliss got married after she graduated in August of 1974, and she was just 19 years old. So Bruce was attending Stanford University's pre-med program, and the newlyweds relocated to Palo Alto just after their wedding. Lucky uh, duckies. Yeah. Because that's a great area. young. She's 19. She doesn't even have to get into Stanford. She's just like, no. I'm going to go with my husband. Of That's course. great. I would love it if Mike got into Stanford. I would be like, yeah, let's go now. I'm done. Like, yeah. I'm going to stay at home. <laughs> I'm done. I, so, wish, I wish that would ever happen in my goddamn life. I've been working <laughs> since I was pushed out of the vagina. Yes. <laughs> you came out with, like, with, with those rubber gloves on yeah, ready to do the like fucking ready. dishes. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so she's just living this good housewife life right now, at least for the first couple months. So they moved into the Quillen house in Escondido Village on the university campus. Why don't people name houses anymore? It's Well, it's a building, but it's it's like dorms. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. So it's specifically for married Stanford students. Because uh, back then, a lot things. of them. Yeah. Well, William Patterson has those. Yeah. They have some one schools for do. people with kids, too. Yeah, one of the schools I looked at in in LA had. Those. I like that. That's yeah, a good idea. It's that... very um it's very mindful of like yeah. grad students and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, it's also Even... like not only is it like okay, these are affordable housings for you while you're going to school with your kid, but it's also like let's put all the kids in one place. Yeah. So other students don't have to hear kids crying in the middle yes, of the night. Yeah, that too. Almost, like you know... <laughs> like away from right. everyone else. You live your married life over <laughs> here. Get away you heathen. <laughs> yes. 
Arliss wrote letters to her family back home and told them how much she loved living in California, but she found it difficult to make friends, well, mainly because she was trying to convert yeah, everyone. Well, <laughs> she especially enjoyed going to the Stanford Memorial Church to pray. Uh, <laughs> it's people who enjoy praying are the worst. Yeah, sorry. Is, is it Arlo. supposed to be something you enjoy? You're, you were no. raised Catholic. No. It's supposed to be work, you're, right? Yeah, you're. Well, there's two kind of prayer. Mm-hmm. Like there's the prayer part where you're like praying for your sins mm-hmm. and like people around you. You mm-hmm. know, like when my grandma gets on her knees and prays for me. <laughs> but then there's also the prayer part where you're just talking to God and like connecting with god spiritually yeah and that's supposed to be like somewhat enjoyable but it's still like a task most people like my grandma as religious as she is still sees that as like something she needs to do to connect with god yeah and she wants to connect to god so she'll do it yeah it's not like she enjoys the actual act yeah if someone was like what's your favorite hobby she wouldn't be like gosh i love to go to the church and pray yeah you know like she has a life outside of praying (laughs) to god well arliss didn't have any friends so she really enjoyed going to to the the church girl back then i don't know what people did for fun (laughs) read a book yeah so the stanford memorial church is really beautiful it was created in this oh i'm gonna describe it never mind the building was styled after churches in venice and ravenna and features (laughs) (laughs) And features elaborate stained glass windows and a large fresco painting on its entrance. It's very California. I imagine. Yeah. She enjoyed going for long walks around campus, but Bruce was busy with his studies and she grew isolated. And I think he worked, too. A few weeks into the fall semester, Arliss began working as a receptionist at a local law firm in order to support the couple and to fill her days. On October 12th, Arliss was planning on mailing a few letters, and Bruce had the night off from classes, so the two took a stroll together across campus to the post office, because everything's on campus. Right. So he's like, I'll go with you. Yeah. Yeah. Got nothing else else to do. do. Exactly. I'll spend some time with my wife. Yeah. Might as well walk with her. Make sure nothing happens to her. Maybe she'll give me a low job tonight, because I (laughs) walked her to the post office. (laughs) Only if he prays first. Yeah. So while walking, the couple began arguing reportedly over the tire pressure in their car. What? Because he was like, well, it's your job to check the tire pressure. And she's like, it's your job. You're the man. Whose car was it? It's like their shared uh, vehicle. So good on her for having a car job. Because like- a car job. Like I, a job where she has to drive a yeah. car too. Well, no, not that, but for her to be in charge oh, of maintenance yeah, yeah. of the car. Because well, I feel like a lot of men would be like, she can't touch the car. She's I have a woman. A, I ha- so it's probably on campus all the time because mm-hmm. he probably just walks to class. Yeah. So it's like, yeah. And she takes it to the law the firm. I don't know if she can walk there. I mean, there, it is but... the late 70s at this point. So. No, early 70s. I thought they were already got- she was 19, got married. Oh, I guess I gave it a few years to get to this point. But no, they imme- it's 74. They immediately oh, moved. Okay. They like got but married it is still a couple weeks later. It's not the it's 40s. Like, no, but it's, they're still that like. like no. mm. Yeah, but women drive. They have driving no. gloves. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they're past driving gloves. But I. I d- <laughs> but they're still Are that like. Past can women. Gloves? There's that, you know, can women fix a car kind of thing? Yeah, it's but like, I think, yeah, I'm sure he was like, I'm fucking busy and you're the one driving the car. So yeah, check so, the fucking yeah. Which is, you know. I wonder if she came home with like a fucking flat. <laughs> and <laughs> he's just like, oh, on the ribs. Women. And he's like, check the fucking tire pressure, yeah. you fucking bitch. I think it, like, I no. think it was just like maybe they were like, oh my gosh, the tire pressure is really flat. And then she was like, well, I thought you checked it. And he was like, well, I thought you were in charge who, of checking it. But I'm it. wondering who checked yeah, this tire pressure. Yeah, I'm really pressure. wondering too. This because is... it's back in the day where they don't have those automatic gauges that people do now that are like, check your tire. Well, no, not in the car, but yeah. you still had those things where you yeah, push it. Yeah, but someone yeah. had to do that. Yeah. So who? So he says who? it was her job, and she says it was right, his job. Right, but someone had to do it to make to know that it was flat. No, I think it was just visibly flat. Oh, well, not like flat, flat, but they were but like yeah, the tire pressure is like, hey. really low. Yeah, or maybe she was like, "Hey, you have to fix the tire because it's riding a little weird." And, and I he think was it's like, flat. And he's "I like, thought that was your job." He's like, "And I also, got yeah." <laughs> so she was upset by this spat and she told Bruce that she was going to go to the church and pray to calm herself tire down. Yes. It's like, I'll just pray to God. He'll fix Ma- the tire. Maybe he'll take the job on. So she arrived at the church alone at around 11.50 p.m. So this is okay, late. that's late. Yeah. So they were walking at like 11.30. 
mail your fucking letters in the I morning. Know. It's, At it's... that point, no one's going to pick them up anyway. No, well, maybe she was like, oh, I want them to get picked up first thing in the morning when they do the first pickup. I don't know. But maybe she had to be at work. She's like, I'll just mail him now. Whatever. Not questioning her motives at this point. So <laughs> she am. entered as two others exited. So other people are at the church at this yeah, well, time. It's, it's like a city, right? This no, it's a, a campus. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just college Churches students. are always open. Not this one. We'll talk about that. Well, here's the thing. <laughs> yes. Churches and cities are normally are, always open. Yes. Although... When Vatican II came back in, mm-hmm. and that's when they were, that's the thing that said you don't have to speak in Latin anymore, you oh, can speak yes. in English. Yes. A lot of them started closing their doors because of crimes, mm-hmm. which defeats the whole purpose of having of yes. having a church always open because it's supposed to be a sanctuary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there for you whenever you want. And now a lot of them are not. Like the yeah. Mendham Church used to always be open. Yes. But it's I rem- not anymore. I remember when my mom joined the Lutheran church in town, they give you a key. Yeah. So they just give every member a key. Um, but again. Yeah. Defeats, defeats the, the purpose. purpose. Yes. It really doesn't have that <laughs> welcoming like, the thing. churches in New York City, most of them, State. unless they have a sign on them, are like always open. Especially like the one church that was by the Twin Towers mm-hmm. or whatever and then it got kind of destroyed but not really and then rebuilt. Mm-hmm. That one's like famous for like always, always just being, being open. open yeah because it's supposed to be somewhere like a homeless person could come yeah. and like find and god get out and the speak with god and, and be safe yeah and exactly so <laughs> but let's close them at eight <laughs> yeah exactly eight o'clock everyone out so she entered as two other people exited and soon after a young man around 25 years in age with sandy blonde hair entered behind her who saw this the security guard oh, okay. Stephen crawford was on duty that night and soon after midnight, he announced that the church would be closing. Last although, call. Yeah, it's last <laughs> call for praying. Um, although he didn't see anyone still inside. So he was like, there's no one inside, but I'm going to yell out just in case I can't right, see anyone. Right, like they're praying or yeah. something. They're fucking <laughs> exactly. leg on the floor. So he didn't have to actually walk around. Yeah. <laughs> it's the lazy man's way. He locked the church at approximately 12, 10 a.m., but made regular checks around the premises every hour. So he's on duty all night. Bruce had returned to their apartment about a half mile away from the church. And when a half hour had passed without Arliss returning, he made his way to the church and arrived at 1230 to find it locked. Bruce then began to wander around campus looking for his wife, but he couldn't find her. He knew that she didn't have anyone she could be visiting that night. She had no friends. She had no friends. And he went to the police to report her missing. The police searched the outside of the church at 3 a.m., but found nothing suspicious. You want to search the inside? Nope, they don't. They're like, no, that's <laughs> yeah, God. They're like, that's God fine. is resting. Yes, this is uh, God's shut off yeah. time, quiet hour. So, at- you know what? Sorry, you know yeah? what this reminds me of? What? What's that girl's name? The case. It was in California, and it was a little girl who was like walking to get ice cream. And someone lured her inside of a church into the library. Oh. They were like, you want a Coke? It turned out to be the um, the the youth pastor was like, hey, oh, it's no. hot outside. Come in, have a Coke. Yeah. And when he, he like hit on her, like, hey, oh. she was like 13. And when she was like, no, I don't. This is weird. She went to leave and he killed her inside <gasps> the church. And he put a coffee cup down on the bloodstain to be like, Oh my God! Someone spilled coffee. That's what this stain is. Oh no! But the she was found cut up in garbage bags, <gasps> and in the garbage bags were like something from the church, and that's how they yeah. liked it all, or whatever. And then he confessed. But oh that's my gosh! Com- no, I'd never heard me of that. Of like, check the church. Yeah, check the church. So at five forty-five a.m., Crawford, the security guard, opened the church for the day because it opened at six, and he strangely found the west side door unlocked. The door had been locked the last time he checked it at around 2 a.m. So right before the police came, police came. They were like, nothing suspicious here and left. As he made his way through the doors and into the sanctuary, he discovered a gruesome scene. To the left of the altar was the body of Arliss Perry. She was lying with her legs and arms outstretched and an ice pick protruding from her skull. An ice pick? Yeah, right behind her left ear. Her jeans and underwear had been pulled down around her ankles, and she had been sexually assaulted with a 24-inch altar candle that was still inside her body. Yeah. 
A second candle had been placed in between her breasts, which were exposed through her torn blouse. Arliss had been beaten and strangled in a brutal manner before being ice-picked. Next to her body, police recovered a kneeling pillow that contained okay. semen stains. Ew. So maybe yeah. he was using it while he... he Someone jerked off onto this pillow. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, some claim that when her body was viewed from above, it seemed that she was positioned to look like a pentagram, kind of, which is weird because she doesn't have enough limbs. Yeah. I was going to say, I don't yeah. think that's possible. Unless but... she had an extra tail, like she had a tail yeah. or something. I don't know. When Crawford called the police, he reportedly told them, hey, we've got a stiff here, which is a weird way to put it. Yeah. Investigators were able to recover a latent palm print on one of the candles used in the assault, and they tested it against both Bruce Perry and Stephen Crawford, neither of whom matched it. The, so they tested it against the husband and the security, and the security guard? guard. Gotcha. Yep. Okay. At Arliss's funeral, her co-workers were confused when they met Bruce. The day before Arliss's murder, a man had shown up to the law office to see her. He was in his early 20s, and everyone assumed that he was her husband. The two had an argument, and Arliss seemed upset by the encounter afterwards. The description sounded somewhat like that of the man who was seen entering the church after Arliss, but neither have either been identified. So this strange man who is not Bruce comes and has an argument with her in a way that makes it seem like they know each other personally. In a way that makes it seem like he's he's the husband. Yeah, Yeah, so it had to be somewhat. Yes, they never identify this dude. The police began investigating the events of October 12th, 1974, and they found that seven people had entered and left the church while Arliss was there, which again, it's almost midnight. What what are you doing? Well, people have late classes and then they go to pray real quick. I guess. It just seems so late, you yeah, know? but religious people go to pray whenever they need to. True. They went and fucking fucked in the back of their car and then they were like shit we gotta go we pray. gotta go pray about God it just saw all of that <laughs> little did she know they best. also had left the air pressure fly on their yeah. cars no, so it was her job <laughs> we think all of them job. according to bruce it was her job <laughs> she should go around checking yep. off tires so kick them <laughs> yeah just she just like kicks <laughs> it that one's fine Bruce became a prime suspect in his wife's murder when investigators discovered that the clothes he was wearing that night were covered in blood. Well, now that does seem odd. It does, but listen to the explanation. Okay. Bruce explained that he, he was slaughtering s- a pig. No. Oh, okay. He suffered from nosebleeds when he became overly stressed or anxious. Okay, but how much blood? Because there's like nosebleed a- blood he, and he then got, there's like, like bad I killed Right, but when you said no. that, I thought he was like, so no, it was like there was blood, blood on the front of his gotcha. shirt. Okay, so just like, yeah. On him. So he got these nosebleeds whenever he was stressed or anxious, and he had experienced one um, on the night of his wife's death because he was like, "Where is she? She's missing." Police didn't find anything. He's all stressed. He gets nosebleed. But you would think you could tell the difference between blood like falling down on your shirt and like splattering on you. Yeah, well, that's what they ultimately determined gotcha. that okay. it was it was a nosebleed. So, for a while, the Santa Clara County Sheriff believed that there may have been a link between Arliss's murder and the murder of three others in February of 1973, but no definitive link was found. After ruling out Bruce and Crawford, the case remained open but cold for several years. Some believe that Arliss could have been one of the Zodiac Killer's victims. This was based on the fact that nine months before Arliss's murder, the Zodiac told the press in a letter that a body would be found in a church. Those who believed that Zodiac was responsible also drew a link between the October 30th desecration of Arliss's gravestone to a similar desecration of suspected Zodiac victim Lindy Sue Bickler's grave. Yeah, but the Zodiac didn't rape his victims, and he didn't bludgeon them to death. Arliss was penetrated with a right, candle. Sorry. She was. I don't think they. There was any semen in her right. or anything. So she there was, was sexually on the assaulted. But yes, the none of the other victims of were, the zodiac were sexually no. assaulted in any way. No, not and that to I know. Shove of. a candle up someone's vagina it's is pretty pretty yeah, hard for your first. It. Yes, going in. It is. Um. So. In 1979, a possible lead in the case came from an unlikely source. Serial killer David Berkowitz mm-hmm. brought up the murder in several letters he wrote. He claimed to have known who had committed the murder, a man he referred to as Manson II. 
Have you ever heard of Manson too? Because no. th- he's interesting. I'll tell you a little bit about him. So Berkowitz volunteered information about the case without being prompted by police and wrote that he had information about, quote, Arliss Perry, hunted, stalked, and slain, followed to California, Stanford University. Yeah, he, he spells was like, Arliss I wrong. kill women, but I don't, yeah. I don't fucking do We're that. We're not that's, touching candles. That's crazy, so yeah. I'm going to just tell on this person. Yeah. So the man who Berkowitz called Manson to was William Menzer. Menzer was a killer known for his ties to a supposed hit squad and the Manson family. He also worked for drug syndicates, and Berkowitz claimed he participated in satanic cult murders. Well, who didn't in the 70s? <laughs> it was a wild time. Menser was connected by others to the Zodiac Killer, the Manson murders, the Son of Sam Killings, and the Process Church. Which is crazy, because we all know the Zodiac Killer is Ted is, Cruz. Is Ted yes. <laughs> So here comes the process church again. Many believe Menser to have actually been the Zodiac killer. And there's actually, I'll have to show you, there's a picture of him and then the sketch. And it's like, ooh, plausible. Plausible. But um, he spoke in the same speech pattern described by survivors of Zodiac. He resembled the police sketch and fit the criminal profile. Because he was in the army. They thought Zodiac could have served in the army. Man, imagine being a survivor of the Zodiac and just being like, for for like 10 years after that, you're you're just like, yeah, he's uh, he's, he's going to come and get me. Yeah, that's terrifying. After being confronted with this allegation by a reporter, Menser became enraged and he said, I am not the Zodiac. I am not some crazed killer, but I think I know who he is. Menser claimed that he had met the Zodiac while he was incarcerated at the California Correctional Institution in Tehachapi in the early 1990s. What the fuck is that? I've, I've never heard of Tehachapi. Is it a city? What? It, it, it has is to it be a part of America? California. Oh. Yeah. Oh, okay. It's a California Correctional Institution. Gotcha. Okay. So he claimed that the man he suspected to be the Zodiac was a 240-pound black man. No. <laughs> nope. No. Not that. Um, by all survivor accounts, Zodiac was white. Yeah. And, and not was, too. Yeah, he was no, a slim he guy. wasn't 240. God, always blaming the black people. Right? Just stop oh, talking about so that. racist. If you're not black, it stop. shouldn't come out of your mouth yeah. ever. I don't um, care. <laughs> there are around 24 similarities between Menser and the Zodiac, but mm. police declined to pursue him as a suspect in 2003. Which, like, would a DNA test hurt? Do we have DNA from Zodiac? Like, I don't think so. Um, Where would he have left his DNA? I don't know. Fingerprint, gun, something. No, he always wore glove. Yeah. And he never, they never recovered a weapon Letter. from him. I don't know. So, Unless he licked them, but I don't <laughs> think so. Yeah, you'd think he'd be more careful. But that's how they caught the the male guy. Who oh, sent, male guy. The guy who sent all the um, the anthrax in the mail. Oh, yeah. With he the, licked mm-hmm. the envelopes. See, I actually don't know that much about Zodiac. See? <sighs> Yeah. Maybe I'll do it one day. Yeah, maybe. Because I like I know maybe the we'll general do, like, premise, but it never like killers. Yeah. It never like really enticed me. Oh, so it's good. Yeah. When you get into it. And there's a lot of theories on a lot of other killers yeah. who it could be. Okay. Well, so many consider Mensler, who's now serving a life sentence in California for the murders of Roy Alexander Radin and June Cassandra Mincher, to be an extremely dangerous man. Okay, so when he said he's not a crazy killer. He that is. was a bold face lie. Yeah, it was. He was like, "I kill for reasons. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm not yeah. crazy." He's like, "I plant them." Yeah. So, uh, which Zodiac did? But yes. his possible link to the Arliss Perry murder, as proposed by David Berkowitz, was that Menser was a member of the Process Church. Arliss Perry had attempted to convert several members of the Process Church in North Dakota when she was in high school. Berkowitz asserted that Arliss had angered the Process Church and the members had followed her to California, where they stalked her for months before murdering her in a church. Menser was the supposed ringleader of the mission, and police ultimately deemed Berkowitz to have no information of value, and Menser was never investigated for the crime. Which is like... Really, like, you tried to convert them, so they're going to spend all this time stalking and murdering you. Right, especially because, like, you moved away. Yeah, like, you're not doing California. it anymore, you know? Yeah. Like, but, yeah, she may have And she didn't them seem, off, like, but... very successful. It's not like she no. took, like, a thousand of their members yeah, away or something, or something like, like that. No. So, at the time of Arliss's murder, people were horrified by the manner, place, and details of the crime. 
Many believe that the murderer had to have some ties to Satanism, and the killing was part of a ritual of some sort. They were also like, oh, whoever's doing this, he's mad at God. He's mad at the church. Like, or he's just a fucking idiot. Exactly. Psycho. So, and he grabbed whatever was closest. Mm-hmm. And, you know. And it happened to be a candle and a prayer thing. Yeah, it was just there. It's so, a church. Everything's related to God. <laughs> it is, so. It's true. <laughs> Arliss Perry's murder remained stagnant for 44 years. Just after the groundbreaking arrest of Joseph D'Angelo in the Golden State <gasps> Killer case, thanks me, to me, familial me. DNA. Yes. It'd be great if it was him. It's um, not him, is it? No. Okay. Uh, the DNA evidence found at the scene of Arliss Perry's murder was put into a DNA matching database. The DNA matched an older man who had been arrested in 1992 for thefts committed in the 1970s that included rare books and art from Stanford University's libraries and the anthropology department. Mm-hmm. So it, these were the semen stains uh-huh. found on the pillow. Right. He was like, no, I just jerk off in that church. It's fine. It's, it's not just, me. Yeah. <laughs> it's just this one pillow I really like. <laughs> don't touch the pillow. It's mine. <laughs> it's always on the floor covered in semen. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> On June 28th, 2018, California police knocked on the door of 72-year-old Stephen Blake Crawford. Wow. They were armed with a search warrant and were prepared to arrest Crawford, but the elderly man had another plan. He asked police through his apartment door if he could have a few moments to get dressed before letting them inside. They obliged for a little while. Come on, don't trust the old killer. (laughs) But began to think that he was stalling. They then used a key given to them by the apartment manager to enter the residence. They found Crawford sitting on his bed with a gun in his hand. Officers retreated and soon heard a single gunshot emanate from the room. Crawford had shot himself in the head and was pronounced dead at the scene. Investigators recovered a hastily written suicide note in the apartment, which had been written in 2016, when Crawford landed back on the radar of Detective Sergeant Richard Alanis, who was investigating the murder of Arliss Perry. Wow. So he had been interviewed, gone back home, written this suicide note, and then not killed himself for and some And that was reason. before the DNA was found. That Tw- cop two was, years. That cop was on him even before the yes. DNA. Yes. Well, I don't know exactly when the DNA came back, but right, it but was yeah. around that time. So the suicide note has not been published and has been described as rambling, and it doesn't mention Arliss Perry's murder directly. Now that the gruesome murder of Arliss Perry had officially been solved, Santa Clara County Sheriff Lori Smith is looking into similar unsolved murder cases in the area that could have been committed by Crawford. Currently, there are three unsolved murders that have a likelihood of being linked to him. Wow. Those of 21-year-old Leslie Perlov, 19-year-old David Levine, and Janet Ann Taylor, who was also 21. That's so sad. All three were Stanford students or recent graduates of Stanford, and all of the victims were killed either by stabbing or strangling. Leslie Perlov was found strangled in the foothills near the Stanford campus on February 16, 1973. She appeared to have been sexually assaulted. David Levine was stabbed 15 times next to the Meyer Library on campus on September 11th, 1973. Never forget. forget. Janet Taylor, daughter of Stanford athletic director and footballer Chuck Taylor, was strangled in a ditch on Sand Hill Road on March 24th, 1974. It is unknown how many victims Crawford could have killed in the almost 45 years between the murder of Arliss Perry and his death. And these three murders were before her murder. That's crazy. Yeah. Investigators find it unlikely that Crawford would have stopped killing after yeah, Perry's murder. he didn't murder. Like go to jail or get no, sent to a war. No, he didn't even get caught for stealing until 20 years after, 30 yeah, years after the murder. so I can't imagine. Mur- he, and no one was on to him. So it's not like, no. oh, I got to stop because they're, they're closing yeah. in. It's like. No, it was like, oh, 20 years later we find out killer. he did this. <laughs> you think? <laughs> <laughs> so. All we know for sure is that Crawford murdered Arliss Perry when she was alone in the Stanford church. He ejaculated onto a kneeling pillow and posed her body in a particular fashion for unknown reasons. Well, it could have just been how she was, right? Wasn't she just kind of laid out? Yeah, but she was, it looked like she was very, legs and arms spread out, you know. He then continued to perform his job as security guard all night before pretending to find her body when he went to open the church the next morning. 
He evaded capture for 44 years because he had been essentially ruled out as a suspect by detectives at the time. Yeah, wasn't his handprint searched? Yeah, but it was a handprint that they just compared to one on a candle. Right, which could have been anyone who's ever touched that candle in that church. And it could be like his handprint on it could have smudged with someone else's handprint. It's not definitive, especially in the 70s. Luckily, he lived long enough for forensic science to develop and catch up to him both for his many thefts and for this horrific murder. Only time will tell if his DNA will match the three suspected Stanford University victims or any other unsolved murders from the area. Great. So girls now can't go to Stanford. They can't go to churches. You're (laughs) safe nowhere. Can't go anywhere. Hide in your rooms because people are awful. You can't trust security guards. Can't trust security guards. No. So that is the murder of Arliss Perry. But I wonder who that guy is who went to fight with her that day. Me too. Do you think she was having an affair i don't want to speculate that because she's dead and can't defend herself i mean but... also though it could have been anyone i mean it could have been just like been... someone she it could have been also the opposite someone who you know she gets coffee every day somewhere or whatever and hit oh, on yeah. her or and she was like be... i'm married hi or then... it could be someone she tried to convert yeah who's just been... like who's I just don't... like leave me yeah. the fuck leave alone, alone. Yeah. i found out where you worked mm-hmm. stop it it's annoying yeah i don't want you to die but please just stop talking to me I hope you live a long and happy life. Yeah. Uh, or like you said, it could have been someone on campus who was like, ooh, she's cute. She's cute. Yeah. And she was and like, she was like, I'm married. I told you time and time again. And like, then he found her work. Yeah, and, and he was up. like, oh, no, here I am. Let's go yeah. out for lunch or whatever. And she's like, you no. have to stop. I'm married. Yeah. Because she doesn't. I mean, also, for one, I don't want to slander. For two, <laughs> anyone can be anything. But she does not seem like the type to step out on her husband no. with all the prayer. And she's she, doing she is a very, it's like her father described her. She was just very naive, very yeah. friendly, almost to a fault. Like mm-hmm. she trusted people. Also, that poor husband, because this whole time I definitely was like, oh, he did it. <laughs> oh, really? And like, <laughs> with I'm his sure, nosebleed. And I'm sure a lot of other people were probably like, what if the, hu-? like, yeah. especially like, you know, that's kind of your first thought. Like, well, what if the husband did it? Yeah. You know? Also, her husband, so obviously this like destroyed his world for a little while he went on to be like this great child psychologist Mm -hmm. and he actually was one of the psychologists that interviewed and treated the kids from waco who were in david koresh's (laughs) camp who survived right but I mean, not to harp on his his whole life's work, but didn't only three of them go on to have normal lives? <laughs> I think so, but I don't think that's his fault. <laughs> I don't either. And you know what? For the statistics, that's pretty good. Three of them yeah. is pretty good. He, um, the other ones lived. They didn't like go out and kill themselves, but they didn't have normal lives. They were still like in the cult, basically, in their mind. Yeah, and he also... So he was the head of this uh, team of psychologists, and mm-hmm. he was the one who was like... He said that they're... Like, he analyzed their drawings Uh and was like, they knew that this fire was going to happen. Yeah, of course. So they were like these really disturbing drawings. It's like like when I first heard about Waco, I was like, how could the government do that? Yeah. And I was like really mad at the government for it, right? Mm -hmm. That's like your first initial, like, oh my God, all those kids kids were in there. And then have you ever seen the documentary about it? I think I have. I think I know what you're talking about. When it first came out, it was just running all the time on TV and I watched it. Mm -hmm. And like in it, there's members who survived and got out and were like, we knew like that was what he was going to do. That was the plan. Knowing that people would Would feel the same way Mm -hmm. that people feel. Oh, how could the government do that to them? It's it's a when they did it. It's a media flip. And I was like, oh, my God. Not saying the government wasn't didn't have their own faults because, of course, they did. Yeah, they but like. If he just like didn't do the shit he did, no, it, none of it. None of it would have. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, the government didn't set the fire. The government didn't shoot. Like, no. he shot a bunch of he people. They killed weapons. A like, bunch of their own people. Yeah, but um, I love this. This is like a chilling quote from him. He said that when he first walked into the room to meet the children, one of them, he said, one of the littlest kids looked up at me and said, "Oh, are you here to kill us?" <gasps> Yeah. Because they were like, and they he's probably like, were told their whole life that if the government gets you, they're, they're going to kill, kill you. Yeah. But isn't that just a little interesting footnote yeah. on the Arliss Perry murder that that's who her that's husband a, yeah. went on to be? Well, good for him. Yeah. I'm and he's, he did he's a life. very um, well-respected yeah. child psychologist. Good. Yeah. So he made it through med school. 
Thank Despite God. Despite his wife being murdered. Wait, was he in med school? He was pre-med at Stanford. But then he became a psychologist. Is he also a doctor? Or did uh, well, he change it halfway through? He's, he's, he's like, Dr. Bruce Perry. He's a, he's a right, psychologist. But he a, but, yeah, yeah but is he, he has a doctor. doctor or does no, he I, a doctor? I think he's, okay. he turned so he to gave psychology. Up that pre-med. Yeah, he yeah. was like, I'm going to do something. Uh, well, he probably still went pre-med and then was like, I'm going to go for a doctorate in psychology instead. Okay, my case. Yay. It's not as fun. Um, <laughs> yes, mine was so fun. <laughs> well, yours had an uplifting ending. Mm-hmm. And mine mm-hmm. ends in grief and destruction. Mine has a possible serial killer ending. Yeah, but also we ended on that fun note that her husband became someone. Yes, he did well. That's not going to happen here. Okay, I'm prepared. Okay, so these murders are also known as the Summerhill Road murders, or some people call it the Eastburn murders. Okay. Anything familiar? No? No, nothing. Blank It's crazy. It's blowing my mind that you don't know it. Okay, so it's May of 1985. And Katie Eastburn is home alone with her kids for a while. She's a military... I may know a little bit about it. Let's see. So she's a military wife and her husband is away attending an Air Force training school for captains in Alabama. Okay. So Katie is the loving mother of three children. Kara, who's five. Aaron, who's three. And Jana, who's almost two. Jana. Jana. Can you imagine? This is my baby Jana. <laughs> well, her other one says Kara, Kara, which is no. It's like naming a baby Karen. Yeah, it's like this is my baby Almost Karen. Kara. <laughs> <laughs> so they live in Fayetteville, North Carolina, not far from Fort Bragg, the Air Force Base. Okay. The twelfth is a beautiful Mother's Day Aww. in Fayetteville, and Katie's neighbor, Sergeant Bob Seffelt, and his wife notice something weird. The local papers are gathering up on the front step of the Eastburn's home. Uh Uh-oh. But the car was still in the driveway, so it's not as if she went away and forgot. Because at first, like, the first reaction was, like, maybe they went to see him, Mm -hmm. like, the husband for Mother's Day, or went out. But the car's still there. If only she had checked the tire pressure. Right. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) It was her her job. job. (laughs) (laughs) So it's not like she forgot to cancel her paper service. Yeah. So, of course, they go to check on their friend and neighbor, and are startled when they hear a baby crying. Mm. Um, so they're they're first a little relieved because they're like, okay, they're home. Maybe they're just sick yeah. or something happened. But when they peer into the window, they see 21-month-year-old Jana standing in her crib, arms stretched out, crying to them after seeing them outside the window. Aww. Bob insists on waiting for the police to arrive before breaking into the home, which ends up being a very good call. Yeah. So they call the police, and when the police run it, rush in, they go straight for Jana, of course. Yeah. And they find her severely hydrated. So dehydrated that her teeth had turned black, <gasps> which turns out happens when the body can't produce enough saliva to keep the tooth hydrated. Oh, uh, so they were, like, drying out. Yeah. Ew. So the EMTs later say that she was only hours away from death. <gasps> yeah. Yes, I have heard of this case. Yeah. yeah. The cops hand the baby off to Bob and his wife. To nope. wait for the EMTs. Oh, okay. Yeah, I was because yeah, yeah. they're, they're not going to take so care of like, them. So they're like, we're going to go search for yeah. the rest of the kids. Can you wait for the EMTs to come? Um, so the first body they find is five-year-old Kara. She's lying on the foot of the bed in the master bedroom. Her throat was slit. <gasps> and on the other side of the bed is Katie. She had been tied up, stabbed. Her throat was slit and her pants were pulled down. And she had been sexually assaulted. Three-year-old Kara was found two doors down. She was curled up under her blanket, and she had been stabbed through the blanket. Mm. All three had their throats slit as well. Only a bit of cash and a debit card were taken from the home. Later on, like a day later, because this happened on a Thursday. Mm -hmm. No, it didn't. (laughs) I don't know where I got that. Anyway, so the next two days, $150 were withdrawn each oh, day the because that's like the the, the limit, limit on the bank uh-huh. so in the end the killer only got away with three hundred dollars <laughs> which is nothing which is nothing so they weren't sure if like that was the motive or mm-hmm. that was just like an afterthought of like oh and i'll take this too yeah so while police got started searching for clues at 367 Summerhill road a young man named patrick Cohn approached them and said that he had seen a man leaving the residence three nights ago after he was leaving his girlfriend's house. At this point, police knew that two nights ago would have been the same night of the murders. Oh, okay. Um, yes. So the mur- they found the bodies on a Sunday. It's mm-hmm. Mother's Day. 
and that Friday night is when they died. Oh, okay. That's where I got Thursday. Okay. Okay, so Patrick told them, I was walking home from my girlfriend's house at about 3.30 a.m. As I was walking, I saw a white Chevette parked on the road. Then I saw this white dude walking down this lady's driveway. I passed right by him. He said, I'm getting an early start this morning, or something like that. Then I watched him get in his white Chevette and drive off. And I said... No one asked. <laughs> Dude, I don't care yeah, about your like, start. I don't you know fucking you. creep. Um, Patrick then went on to provide a very detailed description of the man, saying he was about six four with blonde hair. He was wearing a black toboggan. What is that? <laughs> I love that it's described as a toboggan. It's a fucking beanie. <laughs> oh <laughs> toboggan. Um and he was wearing I thought that was like a it's Canoe. it's also a sled or, or it's a sled. Tobias, that's yeah. it. Um, uh, he was wearing so a black hat and a black members only jacket mm. with a white shirt underneath and blue jeans, and he also had a bag over his shoulder. Okay, and like he was getting duffel. an early start. Yeah, three <laughs> thirty is real early. This isn't six a.m. This is three thirty. Yeah. It is dark outside. Yes, <laughs> this like um, what do you? do yeah this teenager's just finished banging his girlfriend yeah, he's like i i'm just sneaking out of her <laughs> yeah, house like i don't like... care about what you're doing <laughs> don't talk to me also in two of the reports right most of the reports just just state him as um patrick cone mm-hmm. and then in two of them they distinctly said the black man oh <laughs> like, no hmm racist Yikes. but okay it's like why bring it up unless yeah, it's it important doesn't, it's not a, he's never brought up again <laughs> in this whole entire story yeah then that's just straight up racist <laughs> so Three days after the murders, the police publicly broadcast via television and radio the request for the man that night. Mm-hmm. The pleas are accompanied by a composite sketch created by Cohn's description. Mm. Around the same time, the cops find out some very important clues. Mm. They're Scooby-Doo in this bitch. Okay. <gasps> so a few days before the murder, a f- the family had put out a classified ad in the paper looking for someone to adopt their puppy. Mm. Oh, dog. I call him a puppy. He ain't a puppy. <laughs> They were moving overseas and they weren't able to keep the dog. Mm. So a man did answer the ad and actually took the dog the day of the murder. So Uh that Friday. Tim Hennis was watching the evening news when the investigator's request was reported and he was shaken to see his face on the screen. (gasps) Tim had just adopted a dog a few days before Mm. and the news had just reported that the dog he had or the family that he adopted the dog from was dead. And he was the suspect. Mm -hmm. So him, his wife, and their baby girl drive to the police department in their white Chevette Mm -hmm. and offer to assist in any way possible. He willingly answered all of their questions without asking for an attorney once. Mm -hmm. Police noted how similar Tim Hennis looked to the sketch and that he also drove a white Chevette. Mm -hmm. Although DNA was still a few years away from being used in criminal investigation, police did request his hair, blood, and semen sa- samples, which Tim obliged and gave without yeah. any question. Tim and Angela, his wife, then returned to their home believing they had done everything they could and that hopefully they could bring a little justice for the Eastman family. So they were shocked when investigators returned later that evening to arrest Tim. Mm. On the night of the murder, Tim Hennis had dropped his wife and baby girl with his wife's family. Mm. He then went over to his ex's house and tried to fuck her. <laughs> oh, she was great. like, ew, go away because you're married and had a baby. Yeah. Which he's is seems... paraphrasing, but that's definitely what yeah. she said to him. He seems great, and now it's like, oh, wait, no, but, he's trash. Okay, I will say, devil's advocate, we don't know if he asked for sex. He that's just asked. What? It seemed like he was covertly asking for sex. Okay. The way it made it seem like, oh, let's hang out. Yeah. I don't know. But also, a lot of guys do this. A lot yeah. of like good loving husbands cheat right after their mother their chat or their wife has a baby mm-hmm. because they can't have sex and they feel like they need sex yeah. men men are douchebags yeah. sorry men <laughs> you're doing great um don't cheat on your wife so yeah, especially if she just had your fucking child i know right you asshole <laughs> Next now time. i'm mad at all men <laughs> yeah jacob god damn it i'm gonna yell at him after this <laughs> so um tim said that he went home after going to his ex-girlfriend's house and he had some dinner, he watched TV, and then he went to bed. Mm-hmm. So that was Thursday into Friday because mm-hmm. they died Friday morning. Okay. So the cops then asked, oh, so I guess he adopted the dog that Thursday. Gotcha. Okay. Then Friday morning they died. Okay. Yeah. The cops then asked him why on Friday he took one item to the dry cleaners. Can mm. you guess what it was? His members only His jacket. His members only yeah. jacket. 
Also, it seemed that Monday, Tim Hennis was finally available to pay the rest of the rent for that month. You see, he had been short that <sighs> month's rent. Can you guess how much? $300. $300, but he <laughs> paid in cash the Monday after the murders. Oh, things are looking real bad. <laughs> A witness also says that Hennis is the same man she saw at the ATM machine who had withdrawn mm, cash at with the same the time. With the card, yeah. Six months later, a forensics expert searched the house and found a condom wrapper under the dresser. Oh, So no. they're like getting ready for trial and mm-hmm. he comes in, which is like, okay, the police didn't, they didn't find search that. Things. Great. But this is where I get really pissed off about this case. The expert said that that meant that it must have been consensual sex <gasps> because there's a condom. Yeah. Great. Which, what? yes, that means but so But also there was semen inside her. Oh. So it could have nothing to do with one another. Like it could have been her and her husband. She could have been like, we just had a baby, so we're going to use condoms. Or it could have been from three years ago. Yeah, because the person who raped her or had sex with her that night, if it was consensual, but I don't think it was, clearly didn't use one. No, or like took it off. Right after, well, like halfway through, there was no condom found, and there was no like latex parts in her as if the latex condom broke. Yeah. So like, why use a condom if you're just going to end up coming inside of her anyway? Yeah. Sorry to be. (laughs) disgusting about it but like you know what i mean yeah it also led experts to believe that somehow there were two killers oh which i don't really understand the uh, connection there Mm -hmm. but i think it's kind of the idea of like taking care of the kids while that's happening Mm -hmm. kind of thing oh yeah um like one person can manage right the whole family so tim hennis goes to trial and the jury comes back guilty and he's sentenced to three death sentences so as hennis is getting booked a postcard comes in in the mail it reads dear mr hennis i did the crime i murdered the eastburns i will i will be safely out of north carolina by the time you get this he sat on death row for two years before the conviction was overturned after proving that the crime scene photos showed to the jury were too gruesome to lead to a non-biased outcome Mm. because the prosecutors had blown up the photos yeah. and displayed them in the crime in the room the whole time oh so the jury had to look at dead children the whole time, the whole time so they yeah. were like psychologically they just wanted someone to go away for mm-hmm. it they didn't really they weren't really paying attention that to carefully. the evidence yeah so he goes back for a retrial the second trial goes bad mm. the witnesses are now kind of like iffy and unsure because it's been a few years yeah um, and halfway through the trial a man walks into the room Who's on the defense team? Uh huh. Or the someone the defense has found, right? Yes. They call him in, and mm-hmm. he walks into the room. It's a man who lives in the neighborhood and would walk around early, early mornings, mm-hmm. like three thirty, four o'clock. Owned a members um, only jacket. He always wore a member only jacket, and everyone in the room noticed how he looked exactly like Tim Hennis. What? Based Does on he the have a twin. Based <laughs> based on the fact that the defense could prove. That it could have just been any other tall blonde guy. Mm-hmm. Um, he was found not guilty <gasps> in 1989. Oh my god! The case remained unsolved for almost 20 years until 2007. The f- police finally tested the semen inside Kate to try and match it. And pretty quickly they find one. The semen inside Kate belonged to Hennis. Oh. But he had already been acquitted, and mm-hmm. Double Jeopardy says you can't be tried after you've been found not guilty or after three mistrials. Mm-hmm. So the murderer of two babies and a sweet young mother was left to walk free. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, I actually wrote, oh, wait, actually, it wasn't. And then I wrote, <laughs> maniacal laughing. <laughs> Is that my voice? Is that my voice? That's a little scene I think about. Okay. You see, good old Tim Hennis had been a soldier in the army at the time. So the army can try him. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> so I love that the army is like, but we do our own thing. Right. So Hennis at this point is 49 and retired. And the army could only try him if he was still a soldier. So they force him back into active <laughs> duty, which I didn't even know the government could do. I didn't think they could unless, unless there was like a wartime. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which is scary, but yeah, okay. that's terrifying. He's court-martialed and tried against the army because it's it's a different law. So if you murder someone as a person, civilian, as a civilian, yeah. you're breaking federal law as for murder. Mm-hmm. But if you're a soldier, you're also breaking the law of 
murdering someone while being a soldier. Yes. The same way, like, if you were a doctor and you got tried and whatever, the conviction got overturned, mm-hmm. you could probably get tried because you broke your... Yeah, your, it could be murder or it could be, you whatever know... Whatever it is for breaking that oath. Yeah, like and, a yeah. malpractice. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, um, he's court-martialed. His only defense was to say that the sex was consensual and that someone else must have murdered them later on. Mm-hmm. And the jury was like, go fuck yourself. Yeah. Why would you only bring this up right now if that's true? And the defense team said that, but Tim Hennis never, never. went on to say that he had sex with her. Yeah. He stuck with the whole, I got a dog and I left. That was mm-hmm. it. He's convicted of three counts of murder for the second time. And he is still sitting on death row um, at an army facility. However... There is no blood, fingerprints, or fiber evidence con- that tie him to the case. Mm-hmm. Just um, the just the semen. Yes. Also, a lot of people. Well, also he has a somewhat weak alibi for the ATM visit. Mm-hmm. We don't know what the alibi is. They never came out and said it. But there but are people says, who yes, are like, he has no, alibi. he was with us when that uh-huh. ATM thing happened. But a lot of people think that he killed the ki- like whoever did this. Right? Say it's mm-hmm. him or not him. They killed the kids because they left the baby because the baby couldn't identify him. Mm-hmm. And they killed the kids because the baby could identify him. Yeah. But it was proven that both of the kids were killed in their sleep. So okay. they weren't even awake. Yeah, which so also no... defeats, like, to me, the two killer person. Like, mm-hmm. why would you kill? Like, you wouldn't need to then. Mm-hmm. You kill one. You tie the Katie up or whatever quietly. You're like, mm-hmm. You tie her up and then you kill the other two or whatever, yeah. you know? And leave the baby. Right. And leave the baby because who the fuck cares? Mm -hmm. Like, the baby can't identify you. But that also speaks to the idea that they knew the killer, which it could be, if it is Tim, it could be like, oh, they'd be like, he got our dog that day and bam, it's the connection. Or it could be like an actual relative or Mm -hmm. neighbor or something. The guy who looks like him. No one ever looked into that guy, yeah, I guess. Like, what? I'm sure they did and they found an alibi or something. What a crazy something. coincidence, yeah. though. The FBI showed, later on, the mm-hmm. FBI showed that the unit that had tested Tim's DNA evidence had messed up dozens of cases, including three that ended with executions. And Holy then it turned shit. out that the evidence was wrong and that they were innocent. <gasps> and they were dead. How do you live with yourself after doing that? Yeah. So, so many cases were thrown out because it turned out the unit was working with prosecutors. They were, like, working in <gasps> oh, tandem. Oh, no. So they'd be like, say it's this person, and then yeah. they would. So also, it's not incompetence. It's them actually... Yes, they oh, knew what they were gosh. doing. Also, Tim Hennis's name was already labeled on the DNA samples before the tests were run, which isn't supposed to happen Mm. because it can lead to bias and also general clerical mistakes. Uh So it should have been labeled with a case number or the victim's name Uh because someone could have tested that and then be like, whatever, a bunch of shit happens. And then they go, whose DNA is this? Oh, right. It's Tim. You know what I mean? And then then that's when I thought, but that's the end of the case. (laughs) But wait. Oh, no. It's not. It's not the end because some really fucking weird stuff has come out since the conviction. Huh. So let's talk about their babysitter. Oh, my God. This seems like a weird turn, but it's going to connect. So their babysitter's name was Julie. She was just like a teen in the area. Mm -hmm. She had stated that before the murders, like a week or two before the murders, Mm -hmm. the home, like while she was home with the kids and also like Katie had told her that they were getting a lot of phone calls, which Katie had said she was like, oh, I think they're just pranks. But yeah. some of them had been very sexual and oh. aggressive. Uh-huh. She also brought up that her brother looked just like Tim Hennis, mm. which she actually showed police pictures of them. And they were like, yeah, he does. Yeah. Also, she was working for the police as a drug informant to do what? drug busts. Yeah. And she said that she had been followed to and from the Eastburns by angry drug dealers. Oh. Multiple times because yeah. she would like turn Rat them, them out. Yeah. yeah. Her and the DEA had set up a drug deal that was supposed to take place at the Eastburns the weekend before the murders, but it had fallen through. But they didn't know that she, that their babysitter's an informant. No, it doesn't seem so. Oh. Also, just a weird tidbit her favorite crime. Can you guess what's a crime that's similar to this? Oh. Mm. the mcdonald family murders oh which is the murder where it was the doctor who killed his family and then was later convicted for yes. it why does she, why do we know her favorite murder because she brought it up all the time 
And also, the crime took place 15 years earlier, but only four blocks away. Oh. And also, she was McDonald's pen pal in prison. They wrote several times a month. That's really weird. What? And her brother looked just like Tim Hennis. That's a lot of coincidences. Yeah. so that's just like a weird. Yeah. Also, like, what is that? Is that connected? Yeah. What is was she... it? People trying to retaliate, like drug dealers mm-hmm. coming in, thinking she lived there. But there is a weird thing where it's like, okay, but who's killing kids? Like young, yeah. young kids. Where uh-huh. it's like, okay, say you're like this horrible drug dealer, and you see the mother, and you kill the mother or whatever. Mm-hmm. What? Why kill those children? You know what I yeah. mean? Yeah. Like. So is there now some doubt that maybe Tim Hennis didn't do Legally, it? Legally, no. no doubt. Uh-huh. Nobody's looking into yeah. this, like, officially. Yeah. But there is, like, online and, like, People... reporters are being like, this isn't, like, there's a lot to prove. All you can prove is that he had sex with Kate. Yeah. At some point. Mm-hmm. Or raped her. Because yes. I guess she was either, I don't I don't know, but it wasn't proven that it was a, a rape. It was yeah. just she had his sex DNA that night. In, yeah, she had her. DNA yeah. in her. She had sex that night. But mm-hmm. I guess it wasn't like, this is bad to say, I don't know, like violent enough to be like, oh, it was downright. Like there wasn't tears or anything. Yeah. And because mm-hmm. she was so brutally murdered, you can't really prove like those marks are from the sex or not. No. Like yeah. if they're on her thigh or whatever. Because she was beaten, stabbed and, yeah. you know, all that other <sighs> stuff. So in the end, mm-hmm. Gary, the father and husband of the kids. Aww. So he takes the baby, Jana. Yeah. And he had the tombstones of his wife and two kids etched personally. Aaron, who was three, had Tiny Dancer written on it. Aww. Kara had Daddy's Little Shadow. And his wife's grave had You Are the Sunshine in My Life. Aww. He now lives alone with his daughter. Oh, no, that's so sad. But, yeah. I mean, at least he has her, but yeah. still, the fact that she survived is... Thank God. But yeah. So that was 20 years, and then it was resolved, free child. A lot of people are mad about that, too, because it's yeah. like, wait, so the army can just force anyone yeah. back? Like, Apparently, that seems the like, army can do that. That seems... Because, like, if it is a killer, if he is the killer, you want to be like, good, fucking go for yeah. it, army. But then you learn all those other facts, and, and you're, you're like, like maybe what? they shouldn't have been allowed to try him. Yeah. I don't know if... Because none of that, like... That only happened, she said she came out and said all that stuff because mm-hmm. she was like, okay, he's sitting on death row. Yeah. Like, well, now he's in the army prison. But, like, he's, like, rotting away in jail, so she felt bad. So she was like, I had to come out and say all this stuff. Yeah. But they already Which proved, just makes it more confusing, though. And like, they proved I wish... that two people look just like him, her yeah. brother and that other guy. And he looks like any, he's like a kind of okay-looking, blonde-haired, blue-eyed White man. White guy. Yeah. Who has a member-only jacket in the Which fucking 80s. Everyone. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like it really could have... Or that guy could have gotten his... I mean, he could have seen someone leaving the house at 3 a.m. And he could have seen him come for the dog and got yeah. all of his wires crossed Mixed and just... Up. Yeah. Like, you just who don't knows? know. Or he could be friends with some of the drug dealers. Mm-hmm. Like, who, who the fuck knows? Like... Yeah. If it is the drug dealer route, which is so weird. That and is, the fact that they were murdered, like... Down to the under the cover stabbed through the covers thing, mm-hmm. the kids, that's how his kids were murdered. Yeah. So, <gasps> one of them. So, like, it's very similar. So, like, okay, was that, is it that kind of thing? Like, mm-hmm. like did she do it thinking, oh, then maybe, because she, she has come out several times to be, like, McDonald's innocent. Yeah. McDonald, technically, but McDonald's, I don't feel okay yes. saying that because uh. it's weird. So was it a, oh, I'll do this and then it'll make him look innocent because it's the same kind of crime yeah, type of thing? Yeah, maybe the killer's still out there. Right, and maybe she just got lucky. Like, maybe Tim and the mom did just have a fling. Like, yeah. Like, you know, she's, her husband's off for months at a time. Like, it yeah. wouldn't be the craziest. It's not the first person to cheat on their husband because they're gone forever. Yeah. And he obviously was fine cheating on his wife. Mm-hmm. So maybe they did sleep together when he went to get the dog. Yeah. And so it was just by circumstance that she had that inside of yeah. her. Huh. And it's also just the the thing that keeps throwing me is the baby kept alive but left there. And then right. the two other kids brutally murdered. Brutally murdered. But yeah. they think that they were asleep. Yeah. So it's not like they walked into the room and it was and like, we're, oh, yeah, we, no. we got to do it. But it's like, why leave the baby alive? Right. Just because the then? only way, the only reason I would think that is, oh, we're going to leave the baby. Like, maybe they didn't know the family and mm-hmm. they were like, someone will come in tomorrow. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, 
or something like that. And they were like, okay, we'll leave the baby because they the baby can't, the can't baby identify can't, us. Yeah. Because that's the only thing. Unless it was, who would be okay killing a five-year-old and a three-year-old, but then be like, oh, but I can't kill a baby. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know what I mean? That mm-hmm. seems weird. It does. Unless... I mean, the three-year-old was under a cover and the five-year-old was in the same room. So Mm -hmm. maybe it was like, kill the five-year-old because she's here. Yeah. And then maybe they hear something down the hall and they're like, oh, there's another kid in the house. And then they kill it and maybe they didn't even know that Jana was in there because she's just sleeping soundly. Mm -hmm. Or maybe they hear the cries and they're like, okay, but that's just a baby. Yeah. So it can't like come at us or like do anything or Mm -hmm. scream for help. Like it's just a baby. So. I didn't know all of the other stuff about it. Right? I And I thought it was very like, like, no, he did it. No question. Yeah. I did huh. too for a while. And then, yeah. Yeah. It's That's, crazy. Yeah. That takes a lot of turns, that case. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, there's a lot, like, it's very like Stephen Avery where it's like, I don't know if he's innocent, but should he have been convicted? Yeah. Probably not. Like, uh-huh. they probably, he probably deserves a retrial. Yeah. Or just, we need to test more evidence and yeah, get all like, of that stuff yeah. straightened out. Yeah. You know? That's it's just a crazy. And there's a lot of twists and there, turns. There are whiplash from yeah. that. Because, <laughs> like, at the end, I was like, I didn't know this babysitter shit until like a week ago. Mm-hmm. That all happened whenever, 2007. And then there was this article from like 2010. Yeah. And it was like, babysitter ta- like speaks out or something. And I was like, speaks out. Like, that's a weird time to put that yeah. article in. So I clicked on it and it was, it was just, and then I f- kept finding it in other news sources mm-hmm. and stuff. And it was backed up. And wow. I was like, that's insane. Yeah. I knew nothing about the babysitter. Yeah. And that they were getting weird calls. Like it mm-hmm. could have just been a crazy person. Yeah. Or... Th- the drug deal that we don't know why that drug deal failed. Maybe mm-hmm. the drug dealers just didn't show up. Yeah. And then it's like, okay, well maybe they got the weekends wrong and they show up the next weekend and, and then it's whatever yeah, happens. Like who knows? Like, mm-hmm. huh? I just don't know. Wow. That's a very interesting. It's case. very baffling. It is. But that guy's in jail. Yeah. Forever as we speak. Mm-hmm. Yep. At the army base. At the army base. Not even real jail. Yeah. Well, that's it for today. Yeah. That's wow. all of it. It's a lot to take in. It is. Um, we still have our PayPal up. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wanted to clarify. I don't know. I was editing the other episode and I was like, because I said, you know, well, Reppy had to get her laptop because she uses it for school and stuff. But the main reason we're raising money for the laptop is because she needs to record on something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not yes. just for like it's not personal just like, use. Yeah. I'm not like, you know, mm-hmm. my, it's, about my Facebook. Yeah. It's, 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 it's because, because I need to record on yes, it. Yes, we and both my need old recording one devices. Froze all the time. And so like it would not produce a good Yeah, recording. I don't think you can even like put the software on that Probably thing. not. You can't. Do- it was a Chromebook. No. You can't download anything. Yeah, you can't download, you can't download anything. So that was that's what our PayPal is yeah. for. It is paypal.me slash Helen High Horror. Mm-hmm. And there's a link in our show notes for it. Uh, if you also feel like becoming a Patreon supporter, there's a link in our show notes for that too. It's patreon.com slash Helen High Horror. We're Helen High Horror on everything but Twitter. On Twitter, yeah. we're Hell High Horror. I'm Austin Castelli on everything. I'm Reparata Ann on everything. And that's it for this week, that's right? That's it. Yep. Okay. Happy hauntings, Bye. everyone. Bye. Bye.